I said last week that I was going to preach a different type of sermon, and so I'm not going to get all of it done today. I'm, I'm going to start this sermon, but I certainly can't finish it. So if you have your Bibles, turn it to 3 John chapter 1 and start it with verse number 1. Now, I know that sometimes, you know, I just ask all of us to really pay attention to the Word. I know it's raining outside, but uh, let's just uh, give attention to the Word of God because it has the potential to change your life. And whatever measure of hearing you give, that's the measure of receiving that you also will get. So, and this is so very important. This is a subject that I am not used to. I don't know if I've ever preached on this subject before. So this is the first time in the history since I've been preaching. See, I've been preaching since I was 12. So this is the first time I've ever preached a sermon on this. So this is the first time. So uh, I'm sorry you have to be the guinea pig on this sermon so hopefully, uh, if I mess up, you'll just understand that this is the first time I've done research on this type of sermon before. But I actually felt that the Holy Spirit wanted me to speak on this uh, because it's, it's not spoken often. And I was kind of disturbed in my spirit lately. I was disturbed in my spirit of, of some situations that I saw in the church world. And so uh, as a result of me being disturbed of what I saw in the church world, and the leading of the Holy Spirit, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to speak on this subject. And so it's a hard subject, but hopefully you will open your ears and hearts and you will receive it with a spirit of meekness and truth. And I know that it has the potential to change your life. And so 3 John chapter number 1, 3 John chapter number 1, verse number 1, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. This morning I want to preach a sermon called Elephants in the Room dealing with uh, uh, mental health and mental illness. Mental health and mental illness. Could you say that with me today? Mental health and mental illness. Alright, so that will be part number one. And I'm going to deal with other elephants in the room, all right? So there's going to be multiple sermons where I deal with elephants in the room. And today I'm going to deal with mental health and mental illness. Could we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we would hear your word, and that we would understand your word, and that your word would go forth in power and that your word would go forth in boldness. We thank you that all distractions are bound and that our hearts are captivated by the word of God and that the word of God would lodge in our hearts and that we would be found faithful and then we would be found fruitful as well. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Amen. Everybody shouted a great big amen. Elephants in the room and we're going to deal with mental health and illness. Now, what does it mean... Let me ask you this question. What does it mean when somebody says there's an elephant in the room? What does that mean? What does it mean when somebody says there's an elephant in the room? Well, if you say that there's an elephant in the room, you mean that there is an obvious problem or a difficult situation that people do not want to acknowledge or they don't want to talk about. How many would agree with Pastor Josh? There's an elephant in the room. In other words... There is an obvious problem right before our eyes, but we don't want to talk about it. We want to sweep it under the carpet, so to speak, or we want to spiritualize it. We don't want to talk about it. And so there's obvious elephants in the room, especially in the church world. We have a tendency in the church world to preach about the same stuff all the time. And especially when I was growing up in old school Pentecost, you heard the same sermons over and over and over. But I believe that now we're going to have to be relevant to the culture and we're going to have to deal with situations that we're dealing with in the culture and have a biblical worldview concerning those situations. The subject of mental health and illness is an obvious problem in the church, but the church has failed to address the problem because we don't have the answers to the problems or we don't think we have the answer. So we, we just, uh, we find it, uh, we know it's a problem, but we don't want to talk about it, so we somehow spiritualize the problem and we sweep it under the carpet. Although we have 
church members come into church week after week and they are mentally sick and they're mentally ill and the church is incompetent to take care of the problem or even to address the problem. And so I feel like with God's grace this morning, I feel empowered to deal with this subject of mental illness and mental health this morning. Now let me say this and let me say it loud and clear because I think it's very, very important that you understand this, is that I am not a licensed clinical psychologist. I am not a professional counselor. I'm not a medical doctor, nor do I understand the chemical imbalances or the hormones of the body or the brain. I don't understand that. I have not been schooled in that field. What I am, I am a preacher. And my authority is the Bible, the Bible. And I look at the world through a biblical lens. And so I address my problems and I address my issues and I conduct my life through the reading of Scripture. And so this morning, I am not going to give you or lay out some kind of diagnosis from a medical field because I'm not trained in that field. I am a preacher. So I'm going to give you what the Bible says or what I believe the interpretation of Scripture is concerning this matter. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's what I need this morning? If you need professional help, there is nothing wrong with professional help. I am not. And I'm going to make sure that I say this and say it loud and clear. I want to make sure I say it very loud. And I want to make sure I say it very clear. And I want to make sure that this echoes in your spirit. I am not against prescribed medication. Nor am I against professional help or counseling. Because I believe on our spiritual journey, on our growth with God, God uses medicine and He can use professional help and the wisdom of others to help us in the journey of life. How many would raise your hand and say that medicine and professional help and counseling can be beneficial at times? Could you raise your hand? It can be beneficial. And sometimes I think that the church has become so spiritually minded that we are no earthly good. We want to spiritualize everything and we don't effectively diagnose the problem. And if we don't effectively diagnose the problem, we're not going to get to the right solution. Amen? So now let me say this. I'm not against prescribed medicine. I'm not against uh, professional help. That is necessary at times. Nor do I believe that medicine and professional help is the savior to all mental health issues. I don't think it's the savior to everything either. Nor do I believe that there's a devil behind every bush. Nor do I believe that everybody who is mentally sick and mentally unhealthy is demon-possessed. I do not believe that either. Now, I do believe there are cases where people are possessed of the devil and people are vexed of demonic spirits or they are demonized. That is scriptural and that does happen. And sometimes we want to medicate something that needs to be delivered. We need, to, we need to acknowledge that as well. Sometimes we can medicate something that needs to be delivered. But I think that as the church of Jesus Christ, ever before, we need to walk in discernment, knowing how to discern whether somebody needs professional help, whether they need medication, or whether they need prayer or deliverance. We need to come to a place in our spiritual journey where we know how to discern these issues and give people the right help that they need. Can somebody say amen? So, so we, we have to be very careful when we diagnose somebody. Now listen, I grew up in the old school church and you know, I, I remember going to youth camp and they would take somebody to the back room and we would pray over somebody that was supposedly was demon-possessed. Well, they wasn't demon-possessed. They were just rebellious. Can I hear an amen? They wasn't demon-possessed. They just had a problem with lust. You know what I'm saying? Now, there are occasions where people can be vexed of demonic spirits. And so we have to walk in discernment and we have to discern the spirit Look at the scripture. If, if professional help and medicine is not getting the job done, then obviously we've got to look at other solutions. So I am not a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not a medical doctor. I am a preacher. And so we're going to look at this from a biblical worldview. Look at what the scripture says about mental illness and mental health this morning. Sometimes somebody might need prayer or they might need rest. 
They might need prayer, or they might need the Scriptures, or they might need counseling. It could be a combination of natural and spiritual working together so that the person becomes whole. Can I hear an amen? So that the person becomes whole. Have you ever noticed, ladies and gentlemen, listen to Pastor, have you ever noticed the increase of suicide among church leaders recently? I mean, it's not, it's not, a, uh, it's not a, uh, a secret. Recently, in the last few years, uh, several years ago, a prominent Assemblies of God pastor overseas committed suicide, left a note behind to his church and to his wife and to his kids. Uh, there was a pastor uh, out west that uh, recently committed suicide, several. Another one just did it last week. And so there is increase of suicide among church leaders recently. Not only suicide among church leaders, but also among church members and uh, those who are in other fields. Do, have you noticed that depression and anxiety disorders and bipolar symptoms and people are having panic attacks, they have nervous conditions? It seems to be more prevalent in this society than ever before. I mean, people are really nervous. I mean, people are more isolated than ever before. People isolate themselves ever before. They isolate themselves from friends and from family, and they think that their isolation is the key and the solution to their problem. But that's not it. We live in a society that has over-medicated themselves. We've got to, get a, we've got to take a pill to get up in the morning. We've got to take a pill to survive during the day. We've got to take a pill to sleep at night. We have no joy. We have no peace. We have internal issues in our life. We have internal issues in our heart. Our minds are tormented over our past. There is no peace over our present. And we're fearful over the future. It is no wonder we are living in a society where people... People are panicking over their future, over their present. They are tormented over their life. There's people, bipolar symptoms. They're up one, down, well, up one day, down the next. They cuss you out one day and they pray over you the next day. People don't know who they are nowadays. Can I hear an amen? You get on the interstate and they'll cuss you out if you just, come on somebody. People are short-tempered. People are frustrated very easily. People isolate themselves. People have anxiety disorders. They worry about everything. They're panicked. They worry about the present, the, the past, and the future. And, and, and it looks as though that drug addiction is on the rise because we use things to cope with the deficits of our life. There is a deficit in our soul, and we are running after things to cope whether that is sex or whether that is porn, whether that is drugs, but we're coping with the internal issues of our mind and our heart and we don't know how to deal with it, so we launch onto something external to feel the deficit that's on the internal of our minds and our heart. Am I preaching to anybody in this church this morning? We have people come to the altar, confess their sin, get a breakthrough, and the next Sunday they're unsaved. They're in the world again. Something's wrong. There's mental issues somewhere. Some, we are plagued so bad in our mind that some of us can't even sleep. We are saved, and yet we're still struggling. We're quoting the Bible, and we're still bound. We're singing, and yet we're still smothered in our insecurities. We're giving... And at the same time, we're still grieving. We have become like a mindless zombie roaming from work to home and home to work and home to school and school to church. We are a mindless zombie just existing and not really living. Our minds are tormented. We live in the fear of the future and we're constantly telling ourselves the wrong story. It is no wonder we got to take a pill to get up and pill to survive because we talk to ourselves for 12 hours a day, and we down-talk ourselves. We constantly tell ourselves the wrong story. I'm never good enough. I'll never look good enough. He, I'll never be able to do that. I'll, I'm, ne I'm not called that. They don't like me. What did they say about me? And you don't know that for a fact, but all day you tell yourself the wrong story, and it is no wonder we have low self-esteem about ourselves because you're listening to the wrong voice. And if you're ever going to grow up in the Lord, you've got to learn to turn off the voices of your mind and turn on the voice of the Spirit and pick up the Bible and put that in your soul, in your spirit. It's no wonder we can't survive. Something's wrong. God's people 
have to have more joy than this. We have to have more victory than this. There has to be more peace than this. There has to be a difference between this and the world. And I'm convinced that we are suffering in silence and people are mentally sick and mentally ill sitting in the church pews going through the motions because they feel as though the church can't relate to their issues. The church should address these issues. And this morning I want to address that. The Bible says in 3 John chapter number 1, the Bible says that John wrote to a man, an elder by the name of Gaius. And he said to him, in 3 John chapter 1, he said, he said to my beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, he says, I love you, man. He says, I'm not going to come to you and talk to you about doctrine. I need to talk to you about something else. Verse number 2, he says, I, beloved, I pray, I'm praying for you, Gaius. I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul is prospering. Notice the word soul there. The word soul is the word for mind in this scripture. Mind or your thinking pattern. So read it like this. Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health even as your mind is prospering, even as your thinking is prospering, even as your emotional intelligence is prospering. If you are prospering there, it stands to reason. It stands to reason if you're prospering in the soul, you're going to prosper in everything else. So therefore, a sick mind equals a sick life. A healthy mind equals a healthy life. A sick mind equals a sick life. And a healthy mind equals a healthy life. You see, your mind is the control center of your life. It is the control said The biggest battles of your life is going to happen in your mind. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. The biggest battles of your life is not going to be over the car. It's not going to be over the house. It's not going to be over your marriage. It's not going to be over relationships. The biggest battle that's ever going to happen in your life is going to happen in the mind. And if you can win it in the mind, everything else is a piece of cake. Why did Jesus die on a place called Golgotha? He died at a place called Golgotha, which is interpreted the place of the skull, because Jesus understood that life's greatest battles would happen in the skull. It would happen in the mind. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, Preacher, I've been at places in my life where I've struggled in my mind before. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I've struggled in my mind before. Come on, raise your hand. I've struggled. And as I was looking at this scripture, listen, when I was studying this, I thought, Lord God, I'm mentally sick. Honestly. The other day I was like, oh God, as I study this stuff, I said, I'm, I'm mentally sick myself, I need help. But aren't you glad we can all be in the same boat? I'm one, I'm one hungry person telling another hungry person where the bread's at. Can I, can I hear somebody say amen? I'm at the same level. Listen to Pastor Josh, I don't got it together. I have mental issues too. We all have mental, we all have thoughts. We're all bombarded by thoughts. We are all on the same level, all right? I'm with you, all right? I'm preaching to myself here, all right? So I want you to see here is that, that, that John said to Gaius, I want your soul to prosper. I want your mind to prosper. I want your mind to prosper, which stands to reason that if your mind is not prospering, nothing else is going to prosper. A healthy mind can equal a healthy life, can health equal a healthy life. You see, we are composed of body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 13, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the Thessalonica church, and he says this, and I quote, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 The Apostle Paul made it very clear that the human that the, that the man that was made in the image of God is made of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Your body is this part. It is the fleshly nature. It is this. The soul is your mind or your thinking ability or your will or your emotions. And the spirit is the invisible part of you that came from God that looks like you that will live on forever. In other words, you are a spirit you possess a soul, 
you live in a body. I'll say that again. You are a spirit. You possess a mind, a thinking ability. You have emotions. And you live in a body. When you die and they bury you six feet beneath the ground, the body will perish. But according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, the soul and the spirit is interly jointed together. You will have your mind and your reason and your thinking ability. When you leave planet earth and you go to heaven, you'll be able to think and have reason. You'll be able to think that I was your pastor. We lived on planet earth. You're not going to be absent from your soulish realm. And the problem is, is in the church, and I want to make sure that you understand this, is that in the church, we pray for people to get healed. We call people up here, and we anoint them with oil. And we lay hands on them and say, we, we, we rebuke that cancer, we rebuke that cold, we rebuke that sickness and disease, and in the name of Jesus, I command you to be healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And we believe in physical healing, but so many times we don't deal with the soulish healing. We don't deal with the mind. We don't deal with our emotions. We don't deal with our thoughts. We don't deal with what's going on in the internal part of our life. You see, you can be, I am convinced, the longer that I'm in ministry, that you can be physically healthy, and yet emotionally you can be unhealthy. And mentally you can be unhealthy. You can get up every day and go to the gym, and you get up every day and work out and run a marathon, and still be emotionally sick, and mentally sick. And what happened is that when Adam fell, according to Romans chapter 5, when Adam fell, listen to this preacher, when he fell, and he gave, when Eve gave the fruit to Adam and they both partook, the Bible says sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, it was passed to the whole human race and we are all been damaged and flawed by sin. Therefore, the body is flawed by sin, the soul is flawed by sin, and the spirit is flawed by sin. Everybody look up here as I'm preaching. The body is flawed by sin, the soul is flawed by sin, and the spirit is flawed by sin. Because when sin entered the world, it damaged the body, the soul, and the spirit. That is why we deal with the sicknesses of our bodies. Because sin has entered the world. It doesn't mean that if you are sick, you have committed sin. It means that you are a part of the fallen nature of mankind. Sin has affected the human race. But sin has also affected our thinking, and sin has also affected our emotions. So if sin has affected and damaged and flawed our emotions and our thinking pattern, that means, listen to this preacher, that means you don't always think right. You don't always have the right logic. You don't always have the right reason. You're not always right. I cannot say that again. If sin has affected the physical body, and their sickness on the physical body, it has affected the soulish body. It has affected the mind and the thinking pattern. That means that you're, just like your body don't always feel right, you don't always think right and respond right. You don't always think right. You don't always reason right. You don't always have the right logic. And your minds are flawed because of sin. And let me say this loud and clear. That just because you are spiritual and just because you are saved doesn't mean your mind is healthy. I want you to say this on the count of three. I want all of us to say that statement as loud as you can say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Just because you are saved doesn't mean you think right. Just because you are saved doesn't mean your mind is healthy. Just because you are saved doesn't mean your logic about something is correct. Sometimes we are ignorant. Now this is what's funny. Sometimes we are ignorant about our minds. We are ignorant about the unhealthiness of our minds. I promise you, that if I went into your house and I cluttered your house and dirtied your house, you would not live in that filth for too much longer. You would clean that house. Most of you appreciate body hygiene. 
Well, I know at least ten of you do. I said most of you appreciate clean underwear and underarm deodorant and a little bit of cologne. Can I hear an amen? And a little bit of soap. Why is it that you can clean your house and clean your body and you're still nasty in your thinking? Why are you still unhealthy in your thinking? Why do you still think the same way like you did in the world? Why do you still respond to situations like you responded five years ago? When is there going to be a little bit of growth? Y'all really quiet this morning. Do y'all still love me? Is this all right this morning? Everybody wave your hanky and say, it's all right, Pastor. Come on, help me out. I said, it's all right, Pastor. Everybody wave your hand and say, it's all right, Pastor. I want to be whole. And you know, as a result of our mind not getting healthy, guess what happens? We don't respond right. We can't relate to other people. We're always moody. We're always in a bad relationship. And we're in a cycle of mismanagement of time and money and relationships. And nothing works because our priorities are out of place and people look at us and say, what's wrong with that person? They're always in a bad relationship. They're always in trouble. They're always creating drama. They're always trained. You know what's wrong? They look real good. Women will go out and spend $200 on nails. $500 on a dress. $200 on a hairstyle. And get a two-cent man. You know what her problem is? She's mentally sick. I'm not a two-cent man, though. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We're mentally sick. We, we respond the same way we've been responding for years. Run, run, or run our mouth off and say whatever we want to say and can't relate to people and we're moody and getting bad. You know what we are called? This is what psychologists call those types of people. They are a dysfunctional, comma, functioning person. They're dysfunctioning. They're dysfunctional but yet they're functioning. It's functional bondage. Nothing's changing in your life. You don't increase in prayer. You're not increasing in devotion and consecration to God. You're not changing your self-talk. You still think the same way you thought when you were in the world. There's nothing different about you, and that's the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Nothing's going to change in your life until you make a decision. Something got to change. So what do I, Jesus said this, John chapter 5, verse number 6, Jesus saw a, a man who was impotent, a man who was, couldn't help himself, couldn't get to the waters, a man that was uh, paralyzed. And the Bible says he knew his condition for a long time. The Bible says in John chapter 5, Jesus made this great statement to him. He says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? In, in the Greek it means, do you want to be made whole? Is there a wholeness about your life. You see, church, listen to this, Pastor. I'm convinced that you can love God. You can serve God. You can attend church and not be healthy. Not be whole. Why did Jesus look at Peter and said, looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Of course I love you. Jesus a second time said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, of course, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus a third time and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter got aggravated and said, Lord, you know I love you. Because sometimes we love him in the body. Sometimes we love him in the soul. Sometimes we love him in the spirit. Do you know what it means to really love God? What it really means to be consecrated to God, it means that my body and my thinking and my emotions, 
and my spirit is all consecrated to God. And we got lots of people come to church. Your body is here, but your mind is unhealthy and you're not even enjoying the presence of God because your mind is so toxic with such filth you can't even read the words off of the screen on the board is because you're thinking about perversion. So the preacher has to prime and pump you to come and worship and pray. Can't even get a tear out of most of us because our minds are so toxic from the perversion of the world. We're sitting there in our seats thinking, well, I'd get out of my seat if so-and-so wasn't here, if they wasn't here. We're so concerned about what everybody else thinks to us, we self-talk ourselves out of a blessing. And we talk ourselves out of getting out and getting a breakthrough. And we talk ourselves out of things that God wants to do. And nobody told you that. You told yourself you're depressed. You told yourself you're suicidal. You told yourself those lies. And if the truth can set you free, a lie will bind you up. It's lies that will bind you up. You've got to change the way you think about things. Woo. Do you all, will you all still vote on me as pastor? Is that all right? Is this okay? Because you know I'm just shucking out the corn here. And I'm just shucking out here and you all just open your mouth and get it, all right? I'm eating it too. It's all for me too. It's not for me. It's not just for you. It's for me too. We're all in this thing together. I want to grow too. What does it mean? What do we mean by mental health? It's the person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. That's what we mean by mental health. It's their thinking and their emotions. Alright? Thus, a person's mental health determines one ability to handle stress, relate to others, and make decisions. So in other words, how do I know how healthy you are your mental health is demonstrated by how you respond to the stresses of life. How you deal with people. How you make decisions. How you go about your day. How you talk to yourself. That's mental health. What is mental illness? Mental illness is a pattern of behavior that causes significant distress or impairment of personal functioning which is defined by a combination of how a person behaves, feels, perceives, and thinks. That's what it means to be mentally sick. Now get this. I want to give you a few statistics from the, Men the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization demonstrates these few statistics about mental illness. Number one, one out of five Americans will suffer with mental illness. Number two, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. More people get a check from the government because they are depressed than they are physically impaired. Did, did you all hear what I just said? More people get a check from the government to be on disability because they are depressed more than they are physically impaired. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying this is an epidemic. The, the, epi the, the economic burden of depression is estimated to be $210.5 billion per year. Medicating people who are depressed. As of 2017, 300 million people around the world are suffering from depression. Nearly 50% of people who are diagnosed with depression also are diagnosed with anxiety disorders. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. and it's the second leading cause of death among people ages to 10 to 34 years of age. Over 47,000 Americans die by suicide every year. 492,000 over individuals visit hospitals every year in the United States because of self-harm they've done to themselves. This is a problem. People are mentally sick. You say, well, pastor, I, I've suffered some of, the, some of those things. Well, listen, I have went through periods of great depression in my life. I remember one time I was pastoring my first church. I was so depressed. It was horrible. I gained literally a hundred pounds. A hundred pounds. Because I was so depressed. 
I mean, so I was, so, I couldn't even, I, I was eating my way trying to find joy. I just, it was horrible. Everything was black. I couldn't get no joy. I, I, no matter how much I prayed, nothing worked. Nothing worked. I thought God was a million miles away and I was left on a deserted island all by myself. It was horrible. So I sympathize with people who have depression. Now, I don't face it all the time, but just periods of my life I've faced it. I've had people in my family who has committed suicide. I'll preach their funerals. My dad's brother, some of them have committed suicide, hung himself in his house by a cord. Those situations are very difficult, especially to preach. Very, you know, I don't know what to say. Those situations are very difficult. And I want to say this loud and clear. If you face depression, if you have bipolar uh, condition, if you have anxiety disorder and suicidal thoughts, this message is not to condemn you. This message is for me to sympathize with you and to let you know that the church really does care about these issues and we want to help you and we never want to just ignore the elephant in the room anymore. Jesus loves you, we love you, and we want to help you. We want to help you. I said we want to help you. And so many times people who are facing these issues feel like they're all alone and nobody understands. So this message is not to condemn. If you've had family members who've committed suicide, you know, and I, I have several stories I could share with you. If you have family members that's committed suicide or people close to you or you face any of those mental illness uh, symptoms, we're not here to condemn you. We, we sympathize with you. And I don't have all the answers to life. I don't have answers to why all this stuff happens. And I know that we want to preach and say, God's going to turn it around. That's hard to hear when your baby has committed suicide. That's hard to hear that God's going to turn it around. And sometimes I think the church is doing more damage by quoting Scripture at the wrong time. And I hear an amen. Sometimes we just need to stand with people eye to eye and say, listen, I don't have the answers. I, I, I don't even know how you feel at times, but I'm your bro, I'm your sis, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to talk with you. I don't understand everything. I don't even understand why God allowed it to happen. And it's okay to admit that we don't have the answers. What's more important is that we stand beside people and let them know, I'm with you to the end. My friend, who is our insurance agent, you've heard me tell this story. My friend, Jonathan Unruh, who is our insurance agent on Annie Baxter, he helped us move here and got the insurance. He became my friend. His wife left him. He came to my office. He, he said, I, you're the only pastor I know that would help me. And he come to my office and said, my wife's left. She's taking my kids. I don't know what to do, Pastor. Pray for me. So I began to pray with him. I led him to the Lord. I prayed with him. I saw the tears run down his face. Weeks after that, he came to me and said, Pastor, I'm plagued with suicide thoughts. I'm so depressed. I can't even put my clothes in in the morning. And he said these words, Pastor, I just want to be like you. I was like, bro, you don't want to be like me. Thank you. We all have our own story to tell. I appreciate the compliment, but I'm here for you. I didn't have all the answers. I did not have the answers. As he was crying at my desk and I laid hands on his head to rebuke the spirits of suicide, I asked him, I said, Jonathan, do you want me to call you and send you somewhere to get help? He says, no, just pray for me. Just pray for me. Just pray for me. And I prayed for him. And I heard the Holy Spirit and I don't understand this. I do not understand it. But I heard the Holy Spirit say He would do it. He came to church Sunday on May the 4th, 2016. He was right over here. Jimmy Patilla laid hands on him. He fell out in the Spirit. I ran over to him because Stephen, where's Stephen Gray here? Steve, Stephen, Stephen was in that service. He got saved that morning. And Stephen falls out in the Spirit. And then Jonathan falls out. I run over. Jonathan was raised Methodist. So that just freaked me out. The Methodist fell in the Holy Ghost. So I run over there. And, and I helped him off the floor. I said, Jonathan, you okay? He says, he says Josh, what was that? I feel all tingly and, and my knees feel like jello. I said, well, you know, in the Pentecostal church, we call that slaying in the Holy Spirit. He said, boy, that's better than drugs. That's what he said to me. <laughs> he went to the welcome dinner. 
Patty Yates made uh, uh, that chicken, uh, white chili chicken. She made that morning. Dave and Patty made it. He ate the food. saying, boy, this food is good. We were eating this food, and that's one of my favorite things to eat. And we're eating that. And, and so he gave me a bear hug. On Wednesday morning, he sends me a text, says, Pastor, I love you. I look up to you. I want to be a man like you. Pray for me. And I said, bro, I'm praying for you. You're going to make it. He says, I'll talk to you. He sent me a text. He says, I've got to go to work. Just pray for me. And uh, I was in my office around 5 o'clock that evening. And Ronnie calls me on the phone and says, Pastor, where are you at? I said, I'm in my office. He says, uh, Freeman Hospital is trying to get a hold of you. Jonathan's mother is trying to get a hold of you. Jonathan has committed suicide. And so I uh, put down my phone. Ronnie can testify to this. I started crying hysterically. Because I thought... His soul. I ran down to the hospital, grabbed his grieving mother. He wanted to know why. And all she said was, oh, he just loved you. He, he thought the world of you. You helped him so much. And I'm thinking I didn't help him. I went to his house and saw where he took a, he took a uh, extension cord put it up in the attic, tied it around his neck, and jumped off of a, a weight bench. His mother walked in and found him gasping. She died. He died in his arm, her arms. Occasionally, I keep in touch with his mother, just send text messages, I'm praying for you, I'm with you. If there's anything you need, we're here for you. You see, sometimes people can love Jesus but their mind is sick. I was there. He confessed the prayer. I was there. We cried out to God and said, God, please help me. One of the last text messages that he sent to me at late at night says, Pastor, I'm tormented in my mind. I don't have all the answers, folks, but I do know that we have to reach out an arm to these people, to our brothers and sisters, and let them know that we love them. What do we mean by mental illness? People who are mentally sick sometimes, and listen, this affects all of us because I believe all of us, including myself, has been mentally unhealthy. All I can guarantee you, I've been mentally unhealthy. But we need to be aware of it. That's the key, being aware of it. Just like you're aware that your house is dirty and your body needs to be clean, you need to be aware that you're mentally unhealthy. People who feel always down and sad, they're confused about their thinking. They can't concentrate. They have excessive fears and worries, extreme feelings of guilt. Their mood changes up and down at a drop of a hat. They withdraw from fam family and friends and activities for a long period of time. They have significant tiredness, low energy, problem in sleeping. Ditch, uh, they detach themselves from reality. They're paranoia. They're delusional. They see things. They hear things inability to cope with life, trouble understanding or relating to situations or even sympathizing with other people, major changes in eating, their sex drive changes, excessive anger, and suicide thinking. These are just many symptoms of what mental illness do. What, what causes it? Well, many things cause mental illness. It's not, a, it's not a rock. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. Sometimes it's just genetics. Sometimes it's the brain chemistry, the hormone balances in your mind and your body. Sometimes it's the environmental factors of your life. You were raised in a dysfunctional home and your parents didn't know how to respond, so therefore you don't know how to respond. They wasn't good parents, and so guess what? They passed their traits on to you. And the reason you have their traits is because you wasn't aware of it. And you just became conducive to the environment. And you did what everybody else just done. Environmental factors change things. Medical conditions Traumatic life experiences. These things causes us to become mentally unhealthy. And what does the Bible say about it? The Bible has a lot to say about it. I'm going to close in five minutes. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that this is common among humanity. That these situations... 
that I just listed to you is very common among humanity. So if you're sitting here this morning and say, well, Pastor, I, I fit all those descriptions. Well, guess what? It's very common among humanity. We all have faced it, including myself. We all have faced it. It is in the Bible. Every, some of the greatest men of the Bible faced mental sickness. For instance, David. The Bible says, look at David's struggle. Psalms chapter 42, verse 11. Quickly, it will be behind me. This is what David said. Uh, he says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for yet I shall praise Him. You see what he's saying? I am struggling here. My soul is cast down. I'm having a bad day. I'm depressed. And here is a man after God's own heart who is depressed. So you can be a Christian and be depressed. What about Elisha? The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse number 1. Get this, Elisha just called fire down from heaven on the Mount Carmel. He called fire down. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elisha had done. What did he do? He called fire down and killed all the prophets of Baal. How he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elisha, saying, Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as like one of them by tomorrow about this time. Verse number 3, look at this. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now get this, verse number 4. This is his response. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness. That's what happens when you get depressed. You get alone. You get in the wilderness. You don't want to be with anybody. You don't, even, you don't want to be with nobody when you're depressed. So he's in the wilderness, and what does he do? He come and sat down by a Jupiter tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Lord, take my life. Well, I'm no better than my father's. Here is a man who called fire down from heaven. Now he wants to die. He's suicidal. He wants to be alone. So the point of the matter is, people who love God, David is a man after God's own heart, but I have multiple scriptures to prove to you that he was depressed at times because of his situation and environmental situations. Elisha was struggling. Now get this. The Bible says in 1 Kings 19.10, this is what happens. 1 Kings 19, verse number 10. When you are depressed and mentally sick, I don't want you, i got three minutes left, so stay with me. This is what happens, verse number 10. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 10. I want you to see what happens in this scripture here because this is what happens when we become depressed. When we become depressed, we don't really look at the facts. We don't really look at the facts because this is what Elisha did. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. He says, for the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant. He says, I can't hardly read it. He says, I'm alone. I'm left alone. And they seek, they seek to take my life. You see what he said? He says, I'm left alone. I'm the only one that's serving you, God. I'm the only one that's serving you. Now, when you're depressed, you don't really look at the right facts. You don't have the right perspective. Because he's depressed here, and he says, I'm the only one that serves God. But he forgot in verse number 18. 1 Kings 19, verse 18. 1 Kings 19, verse 18. God said, and God had already told him this, but God had to remind him in verse number 18. He said, there's 7,000 that still belong to me. There's 7,000 that hasn't bowed their knee to me. You think you're the only one? There's 7,000. And when we're depressed, we don't see all the facts. Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. Jonah's running from God, but yet Jonah still repented. And even after Jonah repented of his disobedience and rebellion, Jonah still had mental issues. He still had depression. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 3, verse number 3, he said this. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better that I die than live. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that Jonah was facing some mental issues? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Jonah was facing some issues. Jonah wanted to die. And here Jonah is a great man of God. What about Moses? Here Moses pastored three million people. Now how many knows he probably had an excuse to be depressed? Moses here in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, the Bible says, Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, Lord. You see Moses' attitude? Lord, just blot me out. I can't take this. What about Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14? 
This is what he says. Jeremiah said, Cursed be the day which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Now how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, he looked like he's depressed? Come on. Three people. I say, how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, he looked like he was depressed? And Jesus was depressed. In Mark chapter 14, verse 34. Jesus, Mark 14, verse 34, said, I, my soul, my soul sorrowful unto death. Jesus was depressed. What should I do, Pastor? If you're suffering from mental illness, that does not mean you don't love God and it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You can be saved and still struggle mentally. I would suggest that you rest. That you get plenty of sleep. You get, you eat How's that scripture? Jesus was tempted. And the Bible says, and when he was hungry, the devil came to him. And when you're hungry and tired and exhausted, things will be multiplied and magnified more than what it should be. So get rest, eat, exercise, and have a personal devotion plan with God. You've got to make it a habit. You've got to learn to get the Word of God in you. You've got to learn to change the way of thinking. You've got to learn to get the Bible, even if you're going to work. Listen to the Bible on your phone. You've got to learn to take the trash out and start filling the real mind with the Bible. The Word of God. Renew your mind. Romans chapter 12 with the Word of God. You've got to learn to make it a discipline. And you've got to learn to surround yourself with people of like faith who can speak into your life and you receive it. You need somebody in your life to say, listen, you need to straighten that attitude up. You need to quit acting that way. You need to have somebody in your life to look at the blind spots in your life that you don't see. And if those things don't help and you feel like it's something more deep or spiritual, then we will pray over you and we will fast with you. And there's other things I could share with you I'll do at a later sermon.